that's where the humor is. I mean, if nothing else, what's funny about someone sharing their mistake out loud is that everyone else in the room breathes a sigh of relief because they all have the same secret. Yeah. Like we all screwed up with money and no one will say it. And then, you know, Laura stands up and shares her story and everyone's like, oh, thank you. Such a relief. (laughs) Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-Word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. I am pleased you're back with us for another week. My guest this week is Colin Ryan. Before we get into the episode, if you can do me a favor, if you can send your favorite episode, an episode you like, to a friend, colleague, or anyone who you think would enjoy our conversations, please, that would be a great help. Also, if you have a few minutes, if you can head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, I would greatly appreciate it. So who is Colin Ryan? Well, Colin Ryan is featured everywhere from NPR to Moth Radio to Reader's Digest, and the list goes on. He's an award-winning financial speaker who is ranked top 10 financial presenters in the U.S. He is a comedic financial speaker and author. Colin has a wonderful book out called A Comedic Guide to Money. So yes, Colin is using humor when he talks about money, which is amazing. He uses honesty, storytelling, humor, pop culture to talk about this very difficult conversation, the F word, the most hated F word. And he's doing an amazing job. During this conversation, you will see how authentic he is in telling us his story and what he's learned along the way. I feel like this is an important episode as it shows that we all have a story a money story, and often we're totally unconscious of the origins of that story. That unconscious money story impacts how we think, feel, and believe about money. Colin talks about a few things that really help us to bring awareness to awaken our own money story. It seems traditionally money experts, they always appear to have everything figured out. It seemed like they never made mistakes and they only made optimal financial decisions. At least that's what they led us to think while they talked, presented, or so forth. When we dive into fear during this episode, you'll see how the fear of getting things wrong, especially around money, is actually quite paralyzing and causes us to avoid that feeling of fear. However, as Colin discussed, if we start to embrace that fear we stand to learn a lot about ourselves and our relationship with money, which helps us bring clarity and peace of mind to our relationship with money. And during this episode, you'll hear how Colin has embraced fear to see what's underneath that fear pertaining to his money story. Colin also shares his story of embracing shame, shame around money, as it's led him that shame and fear has led him to take a comedic course. Yes, a comedic course. He talks how this all started, how he got into comedy. But now that decision to embrace the fear has led him to have a career as a comedic financial speaker and author. 
Colin believes that humor can chase away the darkness, especially with our money and our money stories. Normally, we don't talk about humor and finances too often. However, there's a lot of research that shows the benefits of utilizing humor to cope with stressful situations. And I think Colin has done a brilliant job of integrating humor, the positive emotions that come with humor, and navigating our money stories. At the end of the episode, we get an instant anthem from Roothub as he was listening in to our conversation and created, wrote, and sung a song instantly. And it was called, If Money Could Talk, Let It Tell a Joke. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with comedic speaker and author, Colin Ryan. Colin, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sean. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you on. And your background fascinates me. I think storytelling, uh, humor, these are all things that have been around for centuries. And I'm looking forward to diving into the intersection with money. But first, when we talk about storytelling, I want to go to your story. From my Googling, I have found out that your story has taken you from basement dungeons to making $12,000 as a journalist to a comedian and now to a comedic financial expert. (laughs) On a very high level, I'm sure I left things out, but your career looks nothing like a linear progression. And really, when I piece those things together, they don't make sense how they get there. But that represents, I think, our life. Life is nothing Mm. but linear. And I think it's through this art of storytelling that we can start to make sense of our nonlinear past. And I think that's what's super interesting about humans is we have this ability, this innate instinct to tell stories. So let's start with your story. If possible... Could you choose one word or image that represents the meaning behind your life story? Put you right on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Whoa. (laughs) It's funny that you ask. Two words came to mind. If I had to choose between the two, the two are vulnerability and inclusion. I'm going to say number Mm. one is inclusion. Mm. Yeah, 100%. What's the significance of that word, inclusion? I am a high empathy, emotionally driven person. And from a young age, I always felt like if somebody told that joke, you know, to a group of students that just bombed, I wanted to sort of like dive on the grenade. Like I wanted to be like, yeah, no, I get get what you're saying. Like I never liked people to be left hanging, even if it was a truly terrible joke. I made them too, right? So I think that there was this inborn instinct for me to sort of include people, help people have a positive experience, lift people up. Mm. And that feels like a really good theme for my whole career. And it is nonlinear. It's all nonlinear. You know, it's like, I mean, statistically, you know, how many of us do what we set out to study in college, you know, even connected to it. Right. So it's, it's all nonlinear, and I think that's what makes it kind of terrifying and fun at the same time. But in all of the different work that I've done, I have focused on listening as much as I speak and on paying attention to people's stories, helping people see themselves in a new and maybe bigger way than they did before I wrote the article about them or before I spoke to their, their college or their company. And just like lifting people up, 
right? So to me, that that's inclusion. No one gets left behind. No one gets left out, especially with money. <laughs> wow. You know, I love it. Inclusion, listening, lifting people up, making them bigger. These are such uplifting, to use your word, word choices that you picked. And I'm, I'm curious about the listening part. You and I had a pre-call and I felt like you were a, a good listener and everyone could listen to words, but not everyone seeks to understand mm. who they're talking to. When it comes to money, because your role is to make this dry subject humorous, enjoyable, what value have you learned through listening and to seek to understand people's stories? All right. First off, I love your questions, by the way. This is just like so nice to be asked (laughs) these things, Sean, because like you, I really care about what I get up and do every day. And I really care when it impacts other people. Like if something I say could help somebody change the direction of their life through a small habit or a new mindset, like, come on. It's just, it's such an honor. Mm. So listening I read a book in high school that I can't even remember the book, but the guy made this comment that he said, most people don't listen. They wait for their turn to speak. And like, you know, I've done it and I know people who do it. And so that became the beginning of this practice for me of when I'm listening to somebody and I start thinking about, well, what I want to say or what that reminds me of just letting it go and just being present with what that person is saying. Obviously you notice a lot more, you also learn a lot more. And sometimes people really open up and show up in a way that you think like, man, this is, this is kind of sacred. Like we're in a grocery store. (laughs) We're having like a real meaningful conversation. You know, you and I had a conversation like that in our first call. So listening to me is, it's going to sound a little paradoxical, but I think as a speaker, your job is really to listen. You kind of say what you came to say, but you're really paying attention to where the audience is leading you. And if they are different from you, man, the best things I've ever done has been like, here's the things I want to say. Let's, let's go through these. And then I'm just going to sit down and ask you some questions because, you know, you're a group of teen moms in an alternative high school program on fixed incomes. I have almost no overlap with you in terms of my life experience. So teach me. Those moments, and there are a lot of those, have absolutely stuck with me and, and changed the way I, I talk about finance because you wonder, you come to understand very quickly that two things. Most people are doing better at it than they think they are because they might not be sort of, quote, book smart, but they've figured out how to survive. And there is no one set of advice for all people. And so it, it, sometimes it's helping people unlock their own confidence that, oh, I'm actually doing some things right. Here's some things I can learn. And, you know, let's go forward and let's do things in a, in a bigger way. You know, your answer just really, really spoke to me and reinforced earlier when you said you, you used the word empathy to having empathy. But I have seen a lot of financial professionals assume they know what's best for other people. And when you talked about that group of teenage moms and you humbly said, I have no idea what you're going through. I'm going to seek to understand. I think that really speaks to your empathy. And what you're doing is 
stopping this narrative we almost have in the professional world is that I know better for you, so I'm going to tell you what to do, like paternalizing people, where that has really, really fueled this thing that I want to talk to you about is shame. And money, as we know, it, it, it like reeks of paperwork, of debt, of guilt. The terms are just interest rate, compound interest, spreadsheets, all these things like yeah. in and themselves are terrible. But then when you put all the emotions attached to it, it really fuels shame because we feel like we are inherently flawed at this money game because this financial guru comes on the stage and telling us we are doing it all wrong. So I want to draw on two things here, this really apparent empathy you have and your inclusion word, because I think our industry creates all these barriers, obstacles, and hurdles that allows people not to be able to access information or products or whatever it is, which fuels this shame. So what is your take, your experience with financial shame? Oh my gosh. I mean, a couple of thoughts come to mind. I think that the first is, you know, for many of us, our first encounter with personal finance was through the worried looks of parents, through the, the sort of hush-hush nature of those conversations. Hey, what we say here stays here in the family, that sort of thing. Which means our first encounter with money is don't talk about it. How do you think we're going to do at building a network of resources, identifying experts, solving problems we've never faced, telling stories that we're maybe not fully comfortable telling about mistakes or bad choices when our first experiences never speak on this. As a speaker, I, I was professionally thrust into the strangest situation. So go around and talk to all these strangers about the most taboo subject. And it started to occur to me that for many people I spoke to, they'd never talked openly for an hour about money in their life. And I was honestly one of those people until I got this job. And so this job was my opportunity. My, it forced me to become an expert fast. And there were nights when I was reading research on retirement vehicles the night before I would give the presentation. And I'm like praying that no one asks me, you know, <laughs> like a legitimate question. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, yeah. but, but even that, there's a dynamic there, which is that sometimes as the expert, we are afraid to get, for lack of a better word, naked in front of our client or our audience. It's not the right word, but I think, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. in, in the sense that, hey, you know, I don't actually know the answer to that. Mm. And it's actually a great question. And I think we should explore that together. Or let me go to some research and follow up with you. I think that the fear is that if you show a card like that, your expertise curtain sort of deteriorates immediately, disintegrates. And I don't think that's true at all. I think it actually shows care and, and consideration if you say, I don't know, but let's figure it out. And I think also it shows that person asking that question that the bar is not a million miles ahead of them, that if they're not an expert, like why even bother? Right. Mm. So I think I may have moved off track from what you originally asked, but I, oh, shame. I think that a lot of it is, is that paternalizing and, and it's unintentional. Mm -hmm. Like I meet financial experts all the time. I speak at educator and advisor conferences and I get these people in a very playful way. And, and I go first to admit, 
huge financial mistakes that they've made in their life. A, because that's how they learned an incredible lesson. B, that's what makes them human. And and I don't see what I guess just be like every hand goes up when I ask that type of a question. Who in here has learned a hard lesson about money? If your advisor is not speaking to you in that way, then you're missing the fact that they're a financial human being, right? Mm -hmm. Just as much as an expert. And so I don't ever think this stuff is like ill-natured or conspiratorial. I think it's just kind of our tendency to try to look like we know it all. And I think we should just ask ourselves, if I was confidently vulnerable about my real story, how might this make this person feel more included, more confident themselves? And I risk nothing, right? Mm -hmm. I still have all my credentials. I still have the book I wrote and the this and the that and the, the office where I advise, you know, this expert doesn't have to fear showing up in that real way. And I've done it all over. And man, the things people will say to you when they know that you're not going to judge them, it's incredible. I mean, people will open up in front of an audience and talk about things that obviously brought great pain to their life, but has made them smarter, has made them better. And like, let's have that conversation. I really, really appreciate that answer. And you, you said the word naked, they're like, well, maybe it's not the right word, but then you said vulnerable. And I feel like that was yeah. one in the same for what you're explaining there. And your response to, if someone asks you a question and saying, I don't know, to me, pulls in something that your bio said, use uh, humanizing honesty, mm-hmm. which transcends to me to vulnerability, which then to me indirectly reduces the shame that we feel around money which our industry needs a lot of that because we are wearing this mask of masculinity for males in this role that I know everything. I have these credentials. I cannot not be wrong, but yet we're human. And yeah, we could probably both of us spend this entire podcast talking about all of our financial mishaps, like bad ones, despite all the information (laughs) we have. At least I know I can. (laughs) How refreshing, Sean. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, Maybe we should start a whole new podcast series on how financial planners make mistakes. Um, but you other use the word fear too. And I, I hear you perhaps have a positive relationship with fear because you can understand it. I could hear you recognizing fear. So maybe, maybe let's hear more about your story and if there is any history between fear, money, and your relationship with money. Oh my gosh. So Yeah, I have a very positive relationship with fear, and it was not always that way. Growing up, I had very severe asthma. I was often hospitalized. I spent long nights with a strap to this thing called a nebulizer. kind of looks like some sort of Wolverine-type device, right? Except without the like depressing visual, which is like a small child, right? At 2 a.m., like breathing through this thing. And emotionally, I mean, the research is very clear. The emotional impact of childhood severe illnesses is is a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. And I've gone through a lot of that in my life. And oftentimes, I think that fear comes down to mistaking a physical danger for an emotional danger or, or risk. You kind of intertwine them. If I'm honest with this person, it's the same as dying or it's the same as, as breaking a bone, right? And so we just, we just pull back. Flash forward, I'm 
25, 26 years old, and I, I've been pursuing writing, journalism, being a novelist, and I had this fear of rejection that is completely shutting me down. And I, I kind of look at my life and I go, I feel like I was supposed to be further along than I am. And I looked at my 20s and I was like, what have I accomplished? I went to college. I lived in Scotland for a little while, which was a cool experience. I lost my virginity. Like, these are my accomplishments. <laughs> like, it's been a while since I've been in, in college and I really feel like I have, I'm stuck. Like, that's a short list of things I can go like, I'm, you know, 20s have been pretty good. And so I, for reasons I can't quite explain to you, Sean, I signed up for a stand-up comedy class, a kind of a tryout thing where you would go to this club and you would just basically stand up and, I mean, my God, terrifying, like tell jokes mm. to strangers. And I went to that if there was a rational reason, because I knew that my life was small and I had this interest in public speaking that I could just feel like if this is not going to happen with the level of fear. I used to get stage fright. I mean, I was really stuck. I go to this comedy class and I accidentally make people laugh. I don't even quite know what about the story it was because it was just so genuine. I, I think I'd rolled my ankle the day before. I was at a casual conversation with somebody and I backed up and stepped on the leg of a chair and like had to go to the, you know, ER. <laughs> so I made some comment, like I'm the type of person who can injure themselves in a casual conversation and people laughed. And I was like, is this all it is? Is just being, just being real and being playful about struggles. And that is all it is. And I became hooked on the feeling of making people laugh. And I started performing. And then I saw this opportunity to teach financial literacy to high school students. And I went, how did this happen? This is the thing I really want. And now I have this weird confidence from three months of comedy. They're like, yeah, sure. I'll go to that high school and talk to like the toughest audience imaginable <laughs> about, oh, money. about finance. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, they're not that tough. They're just honest. There's so much kindness and so much talent and intelligence in young people today. And I don't know why we don't talk about it more. I know we talk about it plenty, but we should talk about it more. And that became this place where I not only learned how to be a speaker, but I really found my real path, which was to help people make change in their life. I truly believe that a good financial habit, a small good financial habit repeated over time can change what's possible in your life. And I, I never had a conversation about finance growing up where I felt captivated and engaged and, and listened to. And so it, now it feels like a really clever idea, but at the time it just seemed like so obvious. It's like, well, don't be boring. That was kind of mm -hmm. like the whole mission. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I'll sum up the story this way. I started to get requests to speak at conferences on a national level. I started getting requested by colleges and universities, and it quickly became a thing that I could go do as my own business. It's now been 13 years. I've talked to, I've lost count how many people I've gotten to speak to, and I feel lucky. I was very lucky and that I worked my tail off, read every book I could find. I eventually wrote my own book, A Comedic Guide to Money. And, uh, and I wake up every day and I feel very engaged and passionate 
about what I do. And that's what I feel lucky for. What was the relationship with money in your household? And, and what have you learned, if anything, about that relationship now as an adult? I would say that I grew up between two different families. My parents split up pretty young and they were uh, essentially of different economic levels or at least of different spending lifestyles. So on the one hand, I had a half of my family where we went out to restaurants and went to movies and I would go go go-karting and I would have this like, you know, epic child experience. And then on the other hand, I had family where we counted every penny where we frequently worried about money. There was often temporary gaps in employment. And what I took from that was this weird level of catastrophe that can come from buying a luxury instead of a need. Specifically, I can recall like 10, 11 years old, we were in between an employment you know, period in my family. And I wanted to buy boxers instead of like <laughs> whitey tidies, you know, was that, did I say 11? Yeah. I was in that like sixth grade range yeah. where you finally start to like, all you want to do is be like your peers yeah. and all the, all the boys had like cool boxers. And the I was boxers like, I were boxers. much cooler, much cooler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very few people saw them, but apparently yeah. it was like a status symbol. <laughs> So I, I kind of made the made the pitch when we were out at some store that I wanted these this pack of boxers and they were more expensive than what I already had. And the way it was conveyed to me, whether it was intentional or not, was like, we're in a serious situation here. And this type of thing is not is not okay, I guess. I mean, and so what I learned from that is that spending money can put you in debt land. And and the reason that I concluded that way was because this is how a young mind works. We simplify without proper context, and then we don't tell people the conclusion that we came to. Because anybody who it, who heard the real story would have been like, well, you know, when it comes to a mortgage, for example, there are you know there are ways that you can you can do a minimum payment. You can you know you figure this out. Like there are ways you can you can get temporary reprieve. I didn't get that from that conversation. I just got, if you spend money, you're going to go bankrupt, basically. Mm. And so growing up, what happened is I became an Olympic level saver. I could tell you where every penny in my life went, which is good because life as a journalist is rough, right? I was doing something I loved, but I, I, I couldn't make a living at it. And this was the only aspect of money I was good at. I didn't invest. I didn't earn money. I didn't save for retirement. I didn't actually really have much in the way of credit. I just scraped and saved every penny. So I would say that fear played a huge role in my relationship to money. And now when I talk to people, I talk about a concept that you've covered very, very well on your podcast, Sean, which is the, the money script, the money story that is driving your actions without you even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I had to overcome that in order to start investing, to learn about investing. I had to overcome that in order to borrow money, which to me was like holding like a bear trap in my hand. Like the credit cards terrified me. And I think that what I now understand is that, you know, fear is natural, it's normal, and it's not a good enough reason not to lean in a little bit, ask for help make an attempt, start to figure out what you really need to know, that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, my gosh, like 
it's always part of the conversation and it doesn't have to be the end of the story. Oh, wow. So interesting how much the word and the motion fear threads through all of our lives in your story. And it's making me think of something you said in one of your talks I was, when I was Googling you, that money often reveals things that we need to work on. And right. I take that as like a personal side. As I, I was also good at savings for my own money scripts. And I realized that was just like a maladaptive approach to avoiding fear. Mm. But I want to go back to your story is that we talk about this vulnerability and Brene Brown always says something about um, when she talks about vulnerability, that shining the light on the darkness is a way to accept whatever's there. Mm. And it really sounds through your story that, yeah, you had this fear of boxers are going to make you broke. Side note, what are you wearing nowadays? Boxers or uh, Teddy Weddies? (laughs) (laughs) That's an important side note. Uh, Yeah. I can't imagine anyone in the world is interested in that answer. Yeah, so I, no. pass. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if Brene Brown would, would approve of me talking about vulnerability and entity whities in the same sentence. I think you've applied it so beautifully <laughs> yeah. to the, the point of her work. <laughs> <laughs> Back to her, uh, her fascinating research is <laughs> like when we shine light and accept, like we can't avoid or remove fear. It's a natural emotion but accept it. And it sounds like, or I, I observed through your story that there was this fear that was driving you, you know, in yeah. your mid in your twenties, fear was perhaps taking over unconsciously. You didn't know, but then you leaned into that fear when you took that comedy course and my gosh, look at now you're a comedic financial expert. So what have you learned about fear? And I know we've talked about it, but just kind of encapsulating this, this story and this idea that money can reveal things we need to work on. What, what have you learned about fear that has taught you this idea that money offers us a tool or a lens into things that we need to work on? In your case, it was fear. I think that, you know, humor chases away the dark. I think we've always kind of used it that way. And when I started doing stand-up, what I discovered was that you can be totally honest. And in fact, it works a lot better when you're honest about your struggles than when you're sort of like humble bragging about your successes. Like imagine a stand-up comedian who's like, I'm, I'm great with money. You know, I have an amazing relationship. Like my life is awesome. I don't know how funny that would be. Like mm-hmm. I'd be like, good for you. Good for you, pal. Like congrats. Yeah. But also it's hard to find the humor in that. But when you talk about your awkwardness in small talk conversations or horrible first impressions that you you wish you hadn't made or impulsive decisions that had real consequences. There's natural conflict in there and it's relatable. I mean, we're nodding right now. Like this is, this is so like the, what glues us together. And so for me, humor became a natural way to make the subject more engaging, but also I think to get at something a little less tangible, which is like the environment around the conversation. You talked Mm -hmm. about those terms earlier, like Mm -hmm. my least favorite financial term at the moment is collateralized debt obligation. (laughs) (laughs) Not only because it's a horrible financial vehicle, but also because any, it's a great example of these types of phrases that are almost designed to make you feel dumb. Right. Like if you can't pocket define that, you're like, oh, my gosh. And so it creates that hierarchy again, those who know and those who don't. So to me, 
that environment around the conversation is often one of unspoken shame. Mm -hmm. It's one of fear of looking like a fool or sort of showing your cards. You don't really get this stuff. And it's overwhelming. It feels like a lot of work. And, And what I mean by overwhelming is like hopeless. Like what difference does it make? I'm never gonna dig myself out of this hole. So to me, using humor is a way to lift everyone up. It's to reconnect them to that positivity they have inside themselves, to that that outlook of hope and possibility. And it's to be playful. It's like, man, let's take the stakes away. Like you made mistakes, I made mistakes. What is stopping us from talking about those? Because my job, if I do it right, and I'm dedicated to this, is when the end of the conversation, you're going to feel like I had a pretty good time having that conversation. I felt good in my body. I'm the alternative, and I'm not trying to throw stones here. Have you ever been to a workshop, like an economics workshop, right? And it's like, it's like a contest on like, what's the saddest chart? <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. And you're sitting there and you're like, I feel like I need like alcohol or like a bag of candy or like a comedy special. Like I am actually uncomfortable. And then you're like, and there's another chart. Great. (laughs) So so I think that that person has the right intentions. They want to Mm. educate their audience, but that environment around the message has not been looked after or adjusted. And I can't remember anything that person actually said. I just remember I felt like crap. So my goal is to do the opposite if I do it right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I've been to too many of those seminars (laughs) where they're charting and this. And and for some reason, the most monotone voice comes out as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I, and like, to be clear, I love economists and I, I love this, this thinking, but like, Let's lean into the humor because it's right there in the on the surface. First off, economics is designed using models based on the behavior of rational creatures, which no human on the planet is a <laughs> rational creature. We are reasonable, we are survival oriented, we're smart, but we don't do rational things. We do like emotionally driven things. So your model is designed based on a test group that doesn't exist. So that's that's kind of funny. They also have some great terms that I don't hear enough of. One of those is sudden wealth syndrome, (laughs) which is when a lot of money comes into your life, a tax refund, a tuition check, a windfall, you find money. And then you almost immediately spend that money or spend more than you'd intended. So there's this, this sudden wealth syndrome idea. It's so clear what that means. It's so funny and memorable. I heard that once and I was like, that's the way I want to talk about this stuff. I don't want to use the $10 term. I want to just like, let's have fun with it. It's kind of funny. It is funny. Like the whole thing about it is actually funny when you think about it. Like, yeah. If an alien looked down at us trying to make money, like these little lemmings hopping in their cars, driving to work, like going to work all day, come back home, maybe saying that we didn't have a good day or it was a stressful day, but we go and do it again. They would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> and and that's oversimplification that we, I don't want to say we don't need money because of course we need shelters, food, survival. There's yeah, a lot of research 100%. that shows that, yeah, these are necessary for our existence. But I feel like we take it way too seriously. And I love the idea of bringing humor in 
And yeah. and you must know this well. Maybe you could speak about the positive emotions that you might see. Because I can imagine when you start talking about these conversations around money, people are like, okay, okay. At what point do you start to see them loosen up and go back to like, uh, you exude vulnerability, which I like. Is there a tipping point where you see them start to be like, okay, they're, they're, they're getting naked or vulnerable, so to speak. So if I do it right, Sean, immediately mm, yeah. they respond that way. And I've gotten into, over the years, coaching leaders and speakers and experts to do this as well, right? To communicate in such a way that creates that bridge of relatability with the audience. Sometimes I say as a speaker, you're in the nod, smile business. Like all I need to do are say things that you react to like, yes, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have literally a hundred examples of this, but like, I think I used one earlier. I said, have you ever been, have you ever looked at your life and thought, I wish I was further along than I am right now? Like you nodded, I could open a speech with that and people would be like, yeah, I relate yeah. to that, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe not second graders, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but any group of professionals or students would feel that way. And so to me, now we have a bridge. Now mm. we have a shared point of connection. And, and what I've said, even without saying it is, I'm like you, I know your experience. And if you read my bio, you know, without me having to say it, that you can transform where you are now to where you want to be. Like you can do that. Mm -hmm. I've done that. You know, I have a lot of inherited advantages uh, that I was not aware of growing up. You know, I have layers of privilege that played a role and I'm never going to downplay that. But what I will say is that most of the, the success and the results that I've experienced are due to personal sacrifice. It's learning to say no to this purchase and learning to save for that bigger goal. It's being willing to work over years to get to an outcome instead of, you know, uh, getting it right away. When I had this job doing these workshops, I was not paid well, but I had the sense that this could be my career. I could mm. spend my life traveling the country, working more as my own boss to my own schedule and like making a difference in people's lives. And the way that I made that happen is I started living like I was unemployed. I did not buy a new pair of like dress pants for two years. I kept my budget. Every penny at the grocery store was accounted for. I was extremely judicious and patient and with my money because I was building up this runway so that when I left that job, I had, I think I had six or nine months of survival money without a dollar of income to come in, right? So I built a runway out of just out of these habits I was teaching. And good thing I did, because as you know, starting a business is a, <laughs> it's a rocky road when you, yeah. when you go into it. And a lot of your illusions get shattered right away about how instantly <laughs> you're going to be successful. And, you know, it's, it's hard work. But in each aspect of my life, these habits have led to the outcome that I most hoped for. And I continue to make mistakes all the time. I continue to do irrational things all the time. And so to me, that's where the humor is. And when you ask an audience to share their example of, the way I say it lately is, um, I want to teach you a tool called, this will be funny later. 
<laughs> and I want you to identify an experience you're having recently, maybe a while ago, or maybe right now. That is, I mean, like funny later is code for it's horrible now, right? And so this is the framing that storytelling and humor has allowed me to bring to my own mistakes and missteps and, and, and the people I work with, right? Mm. To, to have them share that thing out loud and in a respectful and genuine way, if it's, if it's there, to offer that lens of humor and be like, I mean, if nothing else, what's funny about someone sharing their mistake out loud is that everyone else in the room breathes a sigh of relief because they all have the same secret. Yeah. yeah. Like we all screwed up with money and no one will say it. And then, you know, Laura stands up and shares her story and everyone's like, oh, thank you. Know, like it's <laughs> such a relief. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just appreciate so much as we're, <laughs> again, I go back to this fear thing. I feel like you've accepted this level of fear and you have a, you know, a working relationship with fear. Whereas we talk about the charting individuals, I do think, and I say this, well, I shouldn't say them. I say it from a guy who did stand up and talk about too many charts. That was a fear-based thing for me being like, I need to show people how smart I am. Sure. And because we want to be seen. Whereas if you could just connect like what you're doing, my gosh, our relationships with money can transform because like Laura said, (laughs) we've all done that mistake. And it feels darn good when the guy on the stage is saying that. Oh, well, yeah. And I think that's this idea that you're, you know, the platform that you're given is a tool. It's an Mm -hmm. opportunity. It's something you can use. And so for me, it's like, if I can lift you up just because I'm a little bit higher in elevation and I have a microphone, like we're the same, like I'm Mm -hmm. not, you know, we're not different. What I don't want to get lost in that is that it's good for them, but it's good for me too. Yes. I receive, right? (laughs) reciprocity. So I want to be mindful of our time. And for the listeners, we've got our very own Root Hub back and uh, (laughs) he is going to be singing us a song. We'll end with this one last question. Uh, Colin, if you are at the end of life, you're looking at the most peaceful, beautiful scenery, meadows, mountains, lake, ocean, whatever brings you peace. If you were tasked to write a letter on what you learned about having a healthy and funny relationship with money, what would it be? Here's what I would say. Question any paradigm or set of beliefs that is handed to you that allows you to leave people out. Because I know you're better than that. I know you love more than that. And you have this incredible ability to lift one other person up just by saying, I see you, I get you, let's laugh together. We're on the same page, like we're on the same journey, let's do this. And and I will say that you can leave that framework, even if it feels like it's like the matrix, even if it feels like your reality, because who you are is worth it. And and you know so much already. And even with a subject like finance, I've been lucky enough to discover that I can do this cold, impersonal subject exactly as I am, Hmm. as someone who loves people and as somebody who like just genuinely wants to make the world a little better just by being in it. Uh. And like, look at the impact I had. Go do that. Have that impact. (laughs) Signed, Colin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I, I, (laughs) I appreciate you taking the time and you know, Root Hub, I appreciate you listening in and you're, you're a magical man in and yourself. That was a good mumble there. But um, 
Whenever you're ready, Root Hub, if you need some time, you just let us know. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Money, 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 funny, funny, funny. All right. Shame on you. Shame on me when they ask us, do you think money grows out trees? This has to be parody. Do they get the irony that the source of paper currency is literally forestry? If money talks, let it tell a joke. Me and money, we were seeing other people, yeah, we never thought we could make it work. Till we got naked in an open relationship. Yeah, people laugh, but we're loving all the perks. Yes, it kind of makes me want to twerk. If money talks, let it tell a joke. We'll be laughing all the way to the bank. Oh, if money talks. Oh, let it tell a joke. Money come, money go. Money come, money go. Money come, money go. Oh, if we let the punchlines go overflow. If you listen, ain't it funny what we believe about money? If you listen, ain't it funny what we believe about money? Oh, if money talks, let it tell a joke. Yeah, if money talks, let it tell a joke. We'll be laughing all the way to the bank. Oh, if money talks, let it tell a joke. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that part about the open relationship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> awesome, Root Hub. Every time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you, sir. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, we did that together. Wow. We did that together. Yeah. The Any uh, thoughts of the title on that one? I mean, if money talks, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. That is like my favorite thing. Ever right there. If money talks, <laughs> let it tell a joke. Dude, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's like yeah. you just summed up what I'm trying to do. That's my area of yeah. mastery is like taking all of these things that we 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 discuss and listening, like yeah. what you say, and then distilling it into this little like ditty that that will get into our neural pathways and, and help us remember that we can believe that. I love it. Know? I love it. Wow. <laughs> He's magical. Well, thank you oh, to both of you. Um, Sean, you're Sean, you're not so bad yourself, by the way. Uh, <laughs> let's not <laughs> overlook that. I, I, I've loved yeah. this conversation and and the chance that you've connected me with Root Hub and just you're so thoughtful and attentive and, and so genuine about your own journey and your own passion for this. So thank I mean, I just want to say thank you. It's yeah, it's been an honor. Yeah, no, my my pleasure. And uh yeah, it's great to bring you two. In the same Zoom room, I just felt like you both had to meet. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank yeah. you, both of you, man, for including me on this. Thank you for tuning in this week. I hope you are enjoying these conversations as much as I am because they are a delight. How amazing is Root Hub as well? He can sit there, listen, write a song on the spot and play it. Root Hub isn't just singing any song. He's actually capturing 
the details, the meaning, the beliefs, the emotions behind the conversations and putting it into the form of song. And that song's recorded and our guests get to keep those songs forever. So RootHub, thank you. Please check out RootHub on Instagram or RootHub.com on the World Wide Web. And definitely check out Colin Ryan at Colin Speaks. All the links are in the show notes. I appreciate I get to speak to wonderful people like Colin Ryan and Root Hub on a weekly basis. Until next week, take care.